All right, we'll go ahead and get started here. Last week we began what I believe is just going to be a very brief three-part series with one lesson tonight and then one next week. Considering the topic of screens, are they a blessing? Are they a curse? And kind of looking at the way that our world has changed since these screens have become so prevalent and a part of our daily lives, along with considering biblical principles and maybe seeking the Lord for some practical wisdom in ways that we can use these things to be a blessing and not a curse in our life. And I may say this again later, but basically what we're doing is applying some principles that may help us think biblically about any issue or thing that comes up in our life, as well as asking the Lord to kind of at least allow this subject to get our attention and to seek God's wisdom for each and every one of us on how he would have us incorporate the screens into our life as well as hopefully times where we find some wisdom to say, well, Lord, help me to see if something is unhealthy for me or for my children. And we all can seek the Lord on our own and he can give you and I wisdom in how we would apply principles from his word that may not look exactly the same, but we're all his children. We all have the Holy Spirit and he can lead us in what he would have us to do. I'll give you two quick verses here as we get started. Proverbs 22.1 says a good name is rather to be chosen than great riches and loving favor rather than silver and gold. Galatians 6.10 says, as we have therefore opportunity, let us do good unto all men, especially unto them who are of the household of faith. So we'll kind of consider these two principles from those verses off and on as we go through the lesson here tonight. First of all, that the Bible says God desires for us to have a good testimony. That if we go around proclaiming ourselves to be a Christian, that we should behave ourselves in a way that actually reflects well on Christ and that we do not hurt the wisdom of Christ by claiming his name, but then not being a good example and not having a good name and thereby potentially hurting the cause of Christ. Galatians 6.10 also gives us the principle of opportunity. When we have opportunity to do good, we should do good. The verse goes on to say in context, especially to them who are of the household of faith, meaning other Christians. It's a great verse and a great principle to call to our mind to help us remember that other Christians are not the enemy. The guy one town over or across town who's trying to, to lead his church is not my enemy. And I don't need to look at him as my competition and be upset if somebody leaves my church and goes to his church or constantly be trying to find ways to prove why I'm right and why he's wrong. Because though we may have vast differences and diversity in the body of Christ, if we're born again, we're of the household of faith. The Bible says, look to do good unto everyone when you have the opportunity, but especially to other Christians. I threw those two principles out because we'll talk tonight about good ways and bad ways to use screens and technology in our lives. And that's basically what this week and next week will be. We'll be considering good and bad ways that we can use it, some scriptural warnings and some things to think about. But we want to remember tonight that as we use things like technology, like social media, we want to have a good name. We want to be a good testimony and represent Christ in the right way. And we also want to remember that if God allows us to have an opportunity to bless people or be an influence for Christ in the world through using things like social media, technology, or screens, then that's something we should pray about taking advantage of. So screens, whether it be movies we watch, TV time, computers, or cell phones, they're morally neutral. But what we do with them is not always neutral. Sometimes it is good, sometimes it is not wise, it's bad, or it can even be evil. The goal for every mature Christian must be how to learn to discern good and evil. And we must learn discernment in this area that occupies so much of our lives. Briefly, last week we looked at nine different principles that will help us to prove all things and to test all things that we might hold fast to that which is good and please the Lord. Number one, does using it in this way violate clear scripture? Secondly, does using it in this way offend my conscience? Number three, does using it in this way cause others to stumble? Number four, does using it in this way develop an unhealthy dependency? Five, does using it in this way edify? Number six, what is the consensus of my counselors? 
Seven, will using it this way weigh me down as I try to run my race? Eight, does using it in this way redeem the time or waste it? Nine, does using it in this way feed my carnality? That was our outline from last week. As I said last week, we were kind of laying out the groundwork of testing things in our lives to allow the Lord to speak to our hearts if we're using it in the right way or not. And then I said that tonight and next week we'll be looking at a lot of practical applications, mostly considering good ways and bad ways that we can use them. And again, all of this just to kind of put it before our mind and ask the Lord to give us wisdom that we we are in control of the things in our lives like technology and screens and that they are not in control of us. So some practical things. Three of those nine tests that we gave were positive. In other words, it was giving out possible ways to use the screens in your life in a good way. We said, does it edify? Does it redeem the time? Meaning, does it help us make the most of our time? And then the third one that was positive was, can we use it for good? What is the consensus of my counselors? Here's a couple of basic, simple things. What are some good ways that we can use screens? Number one, to connect with others who are distant. To connect with others who are distant. There are people in our lives, you may have family members, I bet most of us here tonight would have family members or somebody that we care about who lives in a distant part of the country or in the Philippines or wherever it may be. And this technology gives us a way to be able to check on people and keep up with them and encourage them and be a part of their lives that in other times may not have been possible, I suppose, from writing letters and hoping that the letter didn't get lost. But we're able to check on not just family members and friends and keep up with their lives, but also emotionally. I think about the time during COVID when there were people in the hospital who many of y'all saw, and Ronnie was telling me the people who were isolated to such a degree where they could not have visitors who would come in and see them. But throughout that time, we could say, could we send them a text or give them a call or send them something in a way to connect with them and let them know that we're thinking about them and that we're praying about them. Using technology to do this will be able to help us save time and connect with more people. It will allow us to edify people by building up and strengthening good relationships, loving and keeping up with our family and friends. Lamentations 351 says, my eye affects my heart. In in other words, what we see affects what's on our heart. And you think about the missionaries when they come and give a presentation they usually will show a video or pictures taking advantage of the technology to be able to stir the burden of the hearts of God's people to learn something about a land where people need to hear about the Lord Jesus Christ. Proverbs 25, 25 says, As cold waters to a thirsty soul, so is good news from a far country. So whether that's missionary updates or whether that's within your own family or whether that's someone who you may be trying to mentor or help disciple and bring them up in the ways of the Lord, it's a blessing to talk about good things. This applies to how we use text messages, phone calls, emails, social media, but also in person, we should be wanting to spread and to share good news. What does the news media cover? What's the old saying? If it bleeds, it leads. In other words, the more sensational, the more scandalous, the more violent the news story, the more that it draws our eyes to it. And that's most of what we're bombarded with all day. But isn't it a blessing to see another Christian sharing good news, to be able to share that the Lord answered this prayer, that someone came to Christ, that a missionary is seeing progress in his endeavors for the Lord. However we're communicating with people, we should strive for it to be used to spread good news and to be a good influence. So we can use it to connect with others who are distant. We also can use it to encourage and minister. To encourage and minister to other people. The word minister, when we use that word, we mean to serve that person, to help that person. We use it in the sense of if someone is broken or grieving because of a loss of a family member, we're ministering to them when we go encourage them, when we tell them we're praying for you, we love you, here's a Bible verse that can help you through this time, here's a meal for your family. That's all a way of ministering 
to people. So for ministering and for encouragement. We can do this, how did I just say? By passing along some form of good news. Proverbs 15.30 says, The light of the eyes rejoiceth the heart, and a good report maketh the bones fat. So let's just stop for a minute and consider we can use it to encourage people or we can use it in a way that is negative that actually harms people or that harms us by engaging in the wrong kind of behavior. And we'll give a few examples of that for just a moment. I wonder how often technology is used for gossip or for slander. Somebody gets emotional and there's something that's bothering them or they had a fight in their family And in five seconds, you can pull the phone out of your pocket and you can type something away and post it for the entire world to see. And what we post online is public and it's permanent to one degree or another because people can see it. We could get on and comment under a post about somebody who's running for office or somebody who is serving the Lord or whatever, and we can repeat a rumor that we may have heard that we have no idea of knowing if it's actually true or not, but people will love to take whatever is the most public thing that's negative, and if it's a person or a situation they don't like, they repeat it, and we're quick to be vicious to do so. There's something about being behind a screen and the anim how do you call it, being anonymous, the the privacy of doing that and the ease of doing that, that doesn't really require much courage or investment in the relationship, but that just seems to bring out the worst of humanity in a way that talking in person doesn't always do. It's possible for a Christian to have a bad testimony because they are behaving on social media in a way That is not appropriate. I've run into several different situations where I think many people who are using a social media platform like Facebook or Instagram or YouTube, they know that when you post something publicly to your feed, everybody can see it. But they didn't realize that sometimes, I guess based off of what your settings are or whether you can control it or not, if you hit like or comment on somebody else's post, it will take some of your activity and will show it to other people who are friends with you on that platform. And I've seen Christian people, specifically throughout the season of the election last time, what came before it and after, and other things that had nothing to do with that, that were liking things or that were making comments that were very rude, that were very cutting, that were very crude, And I think if they knew it had been public, they might not have behaved in such a way. But we have to remember that whether it's public or not, the Lord sees what we do, number one. And secondly, when we're doing it online, there is at least the potential that it is much more public and permanent than when we're not online. So to see a Christian that I knew from 10, 15 years ago making comments and using crude language and being cruel, it, it hurts our heart. But that's a behavior that all of us have to be aware of, that if this is going to be in our lives on such a daily basis and in the lives of our children, we're going to have to be careful to apply wisdom to the way that we use it and to slow ourselves down and say, Lord, would you lead me and guide me in what I'm supposed to say if I am engaged in one of these public forums? And remember that we're representing Christ, whether we're typing it behind a keyboard and hitting send, or whether we're saying it in public. One news story recorded that a couple was having a conversation in the privacy of their own home. And something that they said triggered Alexa And they were talking about the man's... I'm I'm moving too fast, but I assume you know what Alexa is, the little speaker from Amazon. You put it in your home and you can say, Hey, Alexa, tell me a joke. Hey, Alexa, you know, do this. And we were laughing uh, just at John's house yesterday because we were asking Alexa questions. And then I said, Hey, Alexa, are you spying on us right now? And then it, it blinks and it pretends like it can't hear what you were talking about. And I was like, Okay, I see. You heard everything else I was saying, but you didn't hear when I asked if you were actually spying on us. And I say that somewhat jokingly. 
But it triggered, when he mentioned his boss, it triggered something in his phone that began recording and then sent the recording to his boss. And he was saying all of these negative things about his boss and his boss fired him because it was technology in his home that he may not have even known. Can it work this way? Does it have this function? It clearly malfunctioned to some degree. But it's part of our world that hasn't been part of other people's worlds. What am I saying? When we have these tools come into our lives, we have to realize it can be a very dangerous thing. We have to educate ourselves. We have to use discipline. And we have to make sure that we're in control of it instead of it being in control of us. And I didn't pull the news reports, but I do remember reading that certain companies were admitting that they use the microphone on your cell phone to record what you're saying, and some of them even that they were keeping it for some degree of time in a database. Has anybody in here ever, again, I, I, don't, I think most of this is public record, not conspiracy theory, but has anybody been having a conversation when you weren't on your phone, didn't tap Google, and then you start having the advertisements pop up onto your phone for what you were looking at. Has anybody had that happen? I see a couple of hands. I know that it's happened to me. Some of that may have been, I forgot, well, I Googled it. And then Google is selling your information and they give you the advertisement. But boy, I know that there was times we were driving and talked about something and then an hour later, the advertisement for that popped up in your phone. And I think some of that is public record. But most every TV in our house has a microphone. Most every cell phone and tablet has a microphone. And I'm not trying to say, oh, we need to live in fear. Here, but we just need to remember that wisdom is desperately needed to guard. I mean, you could say your privacy, but I'm taking it more from the standpoint of our testimony that we're trying to always live for the Lord in a way that is right. And uh, it, whatever it is, if it's a boss at a company or a pastor within the context of ministry, you have to show prudence and wisdom and realize that not everything is public. And I'm not saying that in a way of keeping things secret or covering up sins, but say that there was a person in the church who was desperately struggling with some things and they came to the pastor for, for guidance, for counseling. But if somehow through careless use of technology that was made public record, that could devastate them and they might not come back to church. So we have to be careful and we have to use discretion. And sadly, well, I mean, not, I guess in a sense, not sadly, it's sadly some of the stories that have happened, but many people, it seems, get caught in the sins that they are ensnarled in or the crimes that they're caught up in more easily because technology is leaving such a trail behind of the things that we do in our lives. Um, Jerry Falwell was the, the president of Liberty University and the pastor, or maybe I think he was pastor of Thomas Road Baptist Church. And then his, one of his sons was after that. And his son, Jerry Falwell Jr., began to have some of this erratic type of behavior where people said, well, what's really going on with him? But his face showed up in a picture that was taken at a nightclub somewhere down in Florida. That would be the type of a place where people were going and behaving in ways that were not really comely for Christians or appropriate for us to behave with the alcohol and, and different things that were being glorified in that environment. And there was a picture of him being there. And people are saying, if you're claiming to be a Christian and a leader, why were you there? And he said, well, I wasn't there. It must have been a deep fake. Somebody ed edited the photo. And then there was pictures of him taken on a yacht with in weird situations with uh, uh, his eyes glazed over it and a glass with something in it that was truly alcohol where he, wh who was that person you were in the photo with and, and what were you drinking and what was happening and on and on it goes and then all of a sudden that, you know, I'm not going to give all, all the terrible details you may have read about it, but the person that he and his wife were involved in these terrible sinful things with decided they were going to burn him and took all of the text messages and the emails and the voicemails and made it public to the media. And in another day and age, I, I know the Lord sometimes seems to see people who are headed in that direction and say, that's it. You're going to get caught when God puts a stop to it. He puts a stop to it. But someone like that is getting caught that hypothetically may not have gotten caught if it weren't for the technology that we use. And the church and the Bible school that my parents attended way back in the 1970s and early 80s, 
the pastor of that church left his cell phone on the pulpit and the cell phone was discovered by one of the deacons that had photos of him in compromising situations with a girl who was still technically a minor that time, according to the laws of the land, according to wisdom, according to the way that it should be. And he just got out of prison last year after spending 13 years in jail. And it wasn't just the fact that he got caught. I'm not saying, oh, be smart about not getting caught about what you do wrong. That's not the point. But the prosecutors went and polled that he, as a pastor of a church of thousands of people, was nonstop sending messages to this girl who was a teenager who had a rough past and was using his position of power and influence as a pastor to seduce her, to give her lies, to groom her emotionally so that he could end up getting what he wanted to get. And a church right here in the Metroplex, I won't say the city because then sometimes it gets too close and it's things that's in the past, but the church had a lot of scandal and there was a man in his 20s who was helping to be the youth pastor and he went to prison as well for being involved with one of the girls in the church who was underage and he first got caught because she posted a photo publicly of him and her kind of curled up in a way that you're going, wait a minute, if this is a, a pastor and if he's married and she's underage, why are they behaving this way? But she as a, an emotional teenager didn't have the thinking process to say, don't post this publicly. And when something is posted publicly, it becomes permanent record. Here's another example. COVID, right? What did every church almost start doing that before only the rich churches were doing? Live streaming. We have live streaming. I put it on Facebook because I found a way to do it fairly cheaply where the audio was at least a pretty good quality for the preaching. And I said, because if Ronnie is working in the hospital that day, but maybe say he happens to be on break or have downtime, I want him to be able while he's on his shift to pull in and listen to the service. If there's an elderly member who gets sick or who has COVID or who's in a hospital bed, then let's let them watch the service. And some people said that in their church, it took a negative effect where the people got lazy about even coming to church. And they said, oh, well, we're watching on TV. So they decided to pull the live stream. And maybe we'll do that someday. I don't know. Wednesday nights, we share prayer requests. We have a more family, intimate type setting. And uh, plus, we have an echo in this room. So I don't put the video live stream. If I teach like this, I record it so we can put it on the podcast later. So people who couldn't come could hear it. Or if you want to go back and hear it again, or myself, it's helpful to hear. How was my delivery? Did I remember to say what I wanted to say? Where did I stop off in what I was teaching? So I said, we'll go ahead and live stream Sunday morning and we'll teach that if you're able to be here, you should be here. And live stream doesn't you know, replace going to church. And we'll just trust the Lord with that. But here's what happened. All of a sudden, every single church in the world was live streaming every second of their service. And it's comical in some ways because I, I was telling Jeff or someone, the I watched a live stream of one church who they had one camera all the way in the back of a, a fairly short room like this. And the camera was there, but then when they started to sing, the camera was too low. So the lady on the back row stood up and all you could see was the back of her head for the next 15 minutes while they were singing their part of the service. But people started watching very closely what all of these pastors were saying. And the sad thing is that sometimes many pastors were saying things that weren't really scriptural or that were unnecessarily over the top or maybe not wise that they might not have said if they knew that everybody following this social media account that puts out, you know, parts of, of their sermons, they might not have said it that way. And people put a spotlight on it. On the one hand, it's not really fair because if you want to get someone and you look at hours and hours and hours and hours of what they say, you might be able to find something that you can kind of twist to, to play it up and say, oh, well, that, you know, this is terrible and it's not fair. But then on the other hand, maybe it's a call to make sure that our teaching and preaching is biblical so that even if it were public, we wouldn't have to be embarrassed by what was being said. They say that 30 to 40% of divorce cases end up involving Facebook in one way or another. It shows up in the public record either saying, well, he connected with someone he went to high school with and ended up cheating on me because he found her through Facebook, or they just document everything public and then the lawyers go through and they pull the photograph of where the person was. They pull the words that were said that might make them look in a bad spot. 
And that ends up showing up in divorce court because people were engaging online in a way they might not have on, in person without really putting it and taking it to heart to say, this is public. This is more public than what I say in a room with a couple of people. And people have behaved themselves in ways that were not wise. And it ends up showing up in the court proceeding because people are documenting their lives and not really using wisdom in the online area as much as they might have offline. I've had people in the church tell me that their family had some dispute, that someone was mad at one of the brother and thought that he had done something that wronged one of the parents and the parents were just kind of letting it go. But the one sibling took it upon themselves to go online and tag their sibling and make it public to hundreds of people as much as they could. This is what my sibling did to my dad. And this is what he did. And what, what I'm saying is, how is their wisdom in handling things that way. Um, another person who used to go to the church, one of their siblings during COVID got mad at, at their parents because of differences in politics or the way that they were choosing to handle guidelines around COVID and constantly and publicly said terrible things about their parents and ran down their parents to anybody who would look by typing it into their phone and putting it on the internet. People I know who you can tell they just had an emotional outburst. And it's so easy because it's right here and we can type it in and hit send. And that's one thing we'll talk about later, but we need to pray and be careful before we type something in and hit send. Whether it's a text message or Facebook, because the Bible says use words of wisdom, seek the Lord for discernment, and that applies to every area of our life. But what I'm saying is that with the technology, those type of outbursts and public fights are much more damaging than they would have been before. And you know the person did it emotionally because you can look and see they didn't even spell check this. Like they didn't even edit the way that it looks, but everybody knows what they're talking about. They're kind of talking about it in a coded way, spewing out all of their negative emotions, but everybody who reads it goes, oh yeah, I know they're talking about that person that they're mad about. Okay, um, engaging in arguments about politics can be, it's not a bad thing to engage politically, but since I became a pastor, the more and more that I've seen something that might have to do with politics and it starts to make me mad and I start to want to make a point because I know I've got the best point, right? And I know I can show them up and I know I'm a better debater than they are and I can prove them wrong. And especially since I became a pastor, I've just felt God more oftentimes than not saying, let it go and be careful. And what if there was someone, and I'm not ashamed to talk about politics online or off, but what if there was someone who saw you getting into a heated argument and they had somewhat of a different political opinion that maybe would have come to church, but now they're not going to come to church because they see the pastor of that church is spending his time sitting around getting into vitriolic, passionate arguments with people. Ephesians 4.29 says, let me see, um, Proverbs 12.18, There is that speaketh like the piercings of a sword, but the tongue of the wise is health. What the wise person speaks, what comes out of his mouth, it's health, it's profitable, it's good. But we can also use our words to pierce like a sword, to cut, to embarrass, to cause pain. And what's the saying? Uh, Sticks and stones may hurt my bones, but words never hurt me. It's a cute saying that might have somewhat of truth to teach the child. Well, just don't don't care about that person that you've never met before, the kid on the playground who's saying something to make fun of you. Hey, they can't hurt you. Just pick up and keep going. But I would venture to guess that many people, probably some of the most painful emotional events of our entire lives are what someone said to us with their words in a way that was demeaning, that was humiliating, that cut like a sword. Ephesians 4.29, let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. What did we say last week? Edify means to build up, to encourage. Quickly, 10 verses here through James chapter 3. Let's read these together. My brethren, be not many masters, meaning teachers, knowing that we shall receive the greater condemnation. For in many things we offend all. If any man offend not in word, the same is a perfect man and able also to bridle the whole body. James says if you're able to control your words in your mouth, 
that's a discipline you should then be able to use to control the rest of your body and have other disciplines because it's very difficult to control what we say. Verse 3, Behold, we put bits in the horses' mouths that they may obey us, and we turn about their whole body. A bit is very small, but you put it in the, the mouth of the horse and you use the reins to turn it, and that mighty beast is pulled all over the place by that little thing. Behold also the ships, which though they be so great and are driven of fierce winds, yet are they turned about with a very small hem, helm, whithersoever the governor listeth. The person who's governing or guiding the ship, they turn that little helm, the rudder of the ship, and it is small, but wherever it is pointed, the whole ship follows. Here's the point. Even so the tongue is a little member and boasteth great things. Behold how great a matter a little fire kindleth. And the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. So is the tongue among our members, that it defileth the whole body, and setteth on fire the course of nature, and it is set on fire of hell. For every kind of beast, and of birds, and of serpents, and of things in the sea is tamed, and hath been tamed of mankind. But the tongue can no man tame. It is an unruly evil, full of deadly poison. Therewith bless we God, even the Father, and therewith curse we men which are made after the similitude of God. Out of the same mouth proceedeth blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not so to be. Sarissa, color and be quiet, okay, while we're teaching so everybody can hear, okay? Thank you. Speaking of the tongues being distracting, okay. And, I mean, I don't know about you, maybe your marriage has been perfect the whole time, but I'll admit that I'm a sinner and I'm not perfect and so is my wife. And it's like even in a few years of marriage, you begin to notice that what you say, you have to strive so hard to be kind and to edify. And if you are in a situation where the tension is built up, the temptation is I know what I can say, but is what I'm saying just to get it off my chest, just to get back at this moment, or is it to help? And in marriage and family, it applies most of all the way that we use our words, but also it's just every area. And obviously I'm talking about online to say, God, give us wisdom how we behave. Because I don't know about you, but I'm guilty about if I scroll by what somebody posted and there's 79 and 25 extra comments and I can tell it's because it was controversial. That's the one I want to stop and I want to read every single thing to see what were people saying. But I've also, we could all tell stories, I'm sure, endlessly, but I've seen people who dated and then broke up and their comments were hateful and nasty and terrible. And it was back and forth and it was like nothing except, what did the, the verse say? Sword, a piercing. It was like a verbal arrow. Let me shoot it and see if I can hurt somebody by what I'm saying. And we have to be careful. What is this all under? Right, number two, we use it to encourage and to minister. We should use it to encourage and to minister not to hurt people, not to be hateful. And we have to seek discipline to do that. We can seek encouragement for ourselves using technology. We can seek to encourage other people to give them spiritual encouragement, materials that will help them in their discipleship and offer fellowship through technology instead of ways that are negative. We can encourage people with whom we have relationships more effectively if we use technology as well as encouraging them in person. We can encourage people by prayer and by letting them know that we are praying for them. The short time that we've had the men's group text that it reminds people when we're meeting at the cafe for Bible study and, and to, to, for fellowship. We have been able to share prayer requests and to let Noel know that we're praying for him. And other people have been able to jump on and ask for prayer. And whatever we're doing throughout the day, we can know somebody has a need. Let's stop and pray for them. And when people text me encouraging things and tell me that they're praying for me, that helps me and that's valuable. And there's been times where I wasn't having the greatest day, but someone says, I got a blessing from what went on at church and through the ministry and what's happening. And instead of just keeping that to myself, I want to let you know that it was a blessing. And using technology is something we can use in that area to help. I've invited people to church and seen them come because I've sent it through Facebook or through phone numbers. You can send a sermon or a spiritual article to someone that you think will help them. And in this day and age, it's been used by several people that I know even to help find a spouse. 
And, uh, you know, whether it's a certain background or, or conservative people who are seeking Christians that are serious about finding someone to marry, it's helpful to be able to see there's a person in another state. And if somebody's willing to relocate, people have gotten married because of it. And obviously that can be dangerous too. And you need to seek help and other eyes that are on. But we have all of these ways and areas that it can be a blessing, that it can be used to encourage and to minister and to be redeemed and used for positive. Number three, we can use technology to stand for truth. We can use technology to stand for truth. What is the idea of social media really about? It's about putting yourself out there. When you choose to engage in it, you're saying, I'm displaying my world, my opinion, my way and manner of life. In many ways, it's become the town hall or the party line of previous generations. People used to gather for a town hall and everybody would talk and discuss ideas. Or the party line would be the telephone that you'd have to wait for your turn in order to make a call. Nowadays, we use technology for that. So it would actually be poor stewardship if none of us ever used it at all. I, I say that to say God leads you in your context and if God's led you to say, I'm not going to be on social media at all whatsoever, ever, that might actually be a very good thing and wise thing for you. But as a whole, if every Christian in the world and every church in the world was to say, we're going to totally disengage from what's online and we're never going to use it, it would be poor stewardship. Because that's where the people are. So that's where we can put the truth. That's where we can engage in standing for the Lord. That's where we can put our, our website up and, and let people get an idea of what the church is like before they come. So we should use it as an opportunity to stand for the truth while asking God to give us wisdom on how we do that. Matthew 5, ye are the, the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick, and it giveth light unto all that are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. In other words, Jesus is saying you're the light of the world. He likens that to a candlestick. And he says a candlestick whose purpose it is to light the whole house before there was electricity is not that it would be hid in a corner or stuck under something where you can't see the light that the candle's putting out. So Jesus says, have good works and let them shine before men. Live for the Lord, not just in private, but publicly be a good witness so that people may be able to see the way that you are living and it actually influences them in a good way. So some people have preached sermons or written books called The Candlestick Principle, saying if we have an opportunity to stand for truth and to shine the light on the truth, then we have a responsibility to stand for the truth. So what do we do? And again, whatever God leads you to do, there can be wisdom in not being on social media at all. But I'm saying whether it's our social media account, whether it's the church in general, or us in our daily lives, what do we do if we're engaging with people back and forth and then opinions begin to fly around that are ignorant, that are ungodly? What if someone were to point blank ask you in a public forum, what about abortion? What about marriage? How does the Bible say we get to heaven? Are you saying I can't get to heaven without Jesus? It would be wrong if we did not consider standing for truth and redeeming this opportunity to say, people will see this. God, would you give me wisdom to lovingly and with balance stand up for the truth if you were to find yourself in that type of a situation? We're called to be soldiers for the Lord. What do soldiers do when they hear the sound of gunfire? They mount up and they ride towards the sound of the guns so that they may engage in the fight. Again, saying that may come across as saying whenever there's a fight online, get involved in it. That's not what I'm saying. But if I throughout my daily life, in person or online, talk about everything except for the part of the truth that is under the fiercest assault at this very moment, or that maybe I'm being asked about point blank, then that is cowardly, or I would say it's poor strategy. For example, um, in the past, in the South, many pastors may not have been racist or publicly racist, but they were afraid to preach against racism because they were afraid how people within their congregations who were attending and giving would respond to that. 
Some churches, just up to recent years, they had a policy that they wouldn't allow interracial weddings. And the pastor said, well, I don't agree with that, but I don't want to change it because everybody would be too mad at me. And in today's age, many pastors have flocks that come to hear them in person and people watching online and thousands of people reading their social media posts who won't tell biblical truth about abortion, about homosexuality, or the way of salvation and the exclusivity of Christ. And that's a bad example. Melissa had a friend that she grew up with in church, and the friend posted, I am now going to live my life as a bisexual, whatever it was. It was one of those things that's just offline of what the Bible says we're supposed to do. And the friend said, that's how I'm going to live my life. And God's okay with it. And the Bible doesn't say anything against it. And if you disagree with me, then I don't want to be your friend anymore. So there may be situations come up where for the sake of other people that are looking, if we're constantly engaging in every other area, then maybe God would lead us to engage lovingly and carefully for the truth, for the sake of the, the, of the people involved who have their eyes on it, that they may hear some wisdom and be pointed to the truth. But if we choose to do that, and again, the better choice of wisdom most of the time may be just to stay away from things that are just drama for the sake of drama. But let's not be afraid if we are involved in public discourse to take a stand. But let's not be overly reactive or harsh. While we stand for truth, we should try to do it with grace. But we should be willing to take a stand. Number four, we can use technology to study and teach the truth. We can use the screens for these things. In my studying for sermons and for teaching, I have my laptop open right here. And then I have my phone on the side with the Strong's Concordance. And then I change tabs to look at the text. And then I'm, I'm uh, uh, another tab that's open from some of my favorite commentators. And another tab to specifically ask the question and see who wrote a good article about the question that I'm trying to address. And this is a good thing. This is helpful. If we do engage with someone online to try and teach them the truth, then teaching involves explaining, not just yelling and trying to yell louder than the other person, but trying to teach them with specifics why it is true and what the ramifications of that truth may be. To use reason and logic in order to help people, not just to be hurtful. We can use it to study and teach the truth, but just in general. Like we said last week, it's a great tool for research to make sure that we are informed. This one is just very basic, but we can use it to show God's beauty. The heavens declare the glory of God and the firmament showeth His handiwork. Um, so whether it's a screensaver or something that has to be on in the background anyway, maybe we put a beautiful picture of a sky or of the sea or something that calms us or helps us or just to show. And maybe if we share that we were at the Grand Canyon, it wouldn't hurt to put in a Bible verse that says God made this. Look at the glory of God. Philippians 4.8, a principle that applies to so many different things. What are we supposed to think about? What's true, what's honest, just, pure, lovely, of a good report, things that have virtue and things that have praise. Number six, to remember in future days God's goodness to you now. To remember in the future days God's goodness to you now. This is, again, like I said, is very simple, but it's a principle that we're supposed to look back over what the Lord has done for us and to be grateful for it. And I'm going to pull up here Psalm 42, 6, because I think I had a verse that I was supposed to put in that I didn't. Psalm chapter 42 and verse 6. My soul is cast down within me, O God. Therefore will I remember thee from the land of Jordan. The picture galleries or the social media posts, sometimes they pop up in memories in years from now and shows us this is what was going on five years ago. Well, if we're putting things in that are of good report, things that have praise, things that have virtue, things we can be grateful for, moments with our family, the technology can be part of bringing it back to our mind. But in our memory, let's not just remember, oh, this was pleasant, but to say, thank you, God, for what you've brought me through. Thank you for what you've blessed me with and what you've allowed me to have in this life. Number seven, we can use it to make a living. We can use it to make a living. Proverbs 14, 23, In all labor there is profit, but the talk of the lips tendeth only to penury, which means extreme poverty. 
Rebecca just recently took a job where she's going to work from home. I know John works from home. Is there anybody else who at least part of the time works at home in order to make income? No, but every other week she's able to do that. And it, so, so that's a blessing, but also it, I'm Lord help me. I don't know why I'm, I'm losing my train of thought. If we applied ourselves innovatively, there might be ways that we can make a living from home that would be a blessing with more money for our family and that we can give and that we can use for things. And people's come, people have come up with all kinds of creative ways to be able to make a living. I remember seeing on Shark Tank that one person started decorating potatoes and selling them. And they would mail it to you and people were paying eight, ten, twelve dollars for a potato that was being mailed to them. It's silly, but some people have used it in a way as an entrepreneur to find a creative way to help provide money. And money's not a bad thing. Money's a good thing if we use it correctly. Now, certainly, the way that we make a living via these screens cannot violate the rest of the principles that we have discussed. And I am trying to seek wisdom myself here as to whether to try to finish this or to stop Let me see. I think that I am going to stop here and go to our questions and discussion time. And because we are right up on eight o'clock and I want to be able to remember where I was and not rush. And I think some of what I was going to talk about next probably fits in well with what we had next week anyway. Um, because what are we mostly talking about? We said tonight, good ways to use it. Next week, bad ways to use it. But I think I just kind of ended up mixing them all together where we're, we're contrasting good and bad examples of ways that we can use these things in our life. And I am going to stop it right there. And we'll go over a couple of question and discussion points because, yep, it is 757. So I don't need to keep us here all night tonight. Um, okay, so a couple of different questions. Um, I, I gave one earlier. Um, uh, about uh, using things accidentally that can be embarrassing, like the person who got fired because Alexa was recording him and he didn't know it. But does anyone have an example of something that may have happened to you, of something that's even just a comical way that uh, of someone who didn't know that something was public, but that it became public or they accidentally sent it or anything like that? I have some things written down under these, but I'll just throw them out there. Yes, Olivia. <laughs> I don't know how it did. It would dial people and I'm like... I have that one written down because I had one of those phones. It was, I don't know, what, a Razor or one of those old, old phones that had a lock screen and somehow the lock screen function just wouldn't work and it would pop open and the screen would come on. So I remember I was at work one day sorting out all the mail I'd picked up when I used to do collections and I went to check the time and I pulled my phone out and it was like four minutes deep into a voicemail. And one of the other guys got back and he said, I heard you on the on the back in the background. I said, hello. And you were just over there working. And then I heard you look down and say, huh, I've been calling everybody. I don't know what's going on with my phone. So you again, that's funny, but you know, what if that was something that was embarrassing or hurtful to somebody and we weren't being careful enough, we should seek for wisdom in those situations. Uh, they didn't make it here tonight, so I was going to give them a hard time, but uh, Fabian and Anna, Anna had been texting Melissa back and forth the other day, and I think she was texting Fabian too, and then she accidentally crossed over and texted Melissa something. She meant to go to Fabian. Luckily, it wasn't too bad or embarrassing. It was just a little bit funny, and we all were laughing about that. Uh, I said the other day, I, I somehow I, my phone was open. It was in my pocket. I hit it, and I pulled up, and I texted out, good luck to everybody in the men's group text separately. They all get a text message saying, good luck. And <laughs> Joe said, good luck with what? Like he didn't know what I was talking about. Um, but I also, one time I was right out here before a Wednesday night service in the fall, I'd gotten off work and rushed in. And one of my coworkers texted me and the instant I saw it, I figured that had to have been an accident because I barely ever dealt with her. But we all share phone numbers because we would find each other out on the route to help when we had to be out late. Okay, where are you at? Okay, I'll show up at the end of that street and meet you and we can share the mail. And she texted me something that said, you are a, and it was a nasty, mean word and went on with this long complaint. And then I got the text message 30 minutes later. I just realized I sent you that. I was trying to send it to somebody else. I'm sorry. Um, you you got to be careful. Sometimes it's funny, but sometimes it's it's hurtful as well. And it betrays the fact that there was somebody she wanted to hurt with that message. And she was doing it on purpose. 
but then it became more public, and that's embarrassing. But anybody else, anything like that? No. Okay. Uh, yes, sir. I've had several, like where somebody, else, you know, they didn't hang up and they went on with the conversation. You know, and then you, yep. they think they're they're done. They set their phone down, and it's still going on. It's happened. Yeah. I think I had that one written down too, and I, I just skipped over it. But my mother-in-law was saying the other day, I won't say who, but there was somebody one time who thought they hit hang up, they thought they hit end call, and then they said something they would not have wanted to say if I was on the other end, and they hadn't hit end call. So I'm like, get me off. And then you're in this situation, right, where, well, do I just stay on and see what they're saying, or do I hurry up and try to hang up, or do I listen to what's going on? Um, okay, uh, anything I, I put down, is there anything that comes to mind as a time when you were very encouraged or helped by knowing that someone had been thinking about you and they did it by phone or by email or by text. Um, I, I've had several times, like I said tonight, where someone has let me know there was a blessing that I wouldn't have known about otherwise if they hadn't have told me I'm praying for you today. Um, somebody said, boy, if you text somebody or call them, that might be more meaningful than just when you're scrolling by and it says it's their birthday and you just hit happy birthday with the automatic filler. You know, they know you just saw it. And, but and that's not bad to do that either, but anything comes to anybody's mind on that one. Okay. Um, so what, what are your thoughts about sharing scripture or the truth on Facebook or publicly? Is it a good thing to do or is it something we should be selective of? Or have you seen somebody who just got too consumed and, and they seem to be on there 97 times every day trying to preach at everybody? So nobody looks at that anyway. Does anybody have any examples or thoughts that the Lord may have given you about a good way to use it or not to use it in that way? I mean, like, it's a good uh, uh, way of like, you know, like sharing uh, using the Facebook posting something that will kind of again like to edify or like share share the gospel yes uh, through that just so it's like sometimes like i post something like you know like there are people who will like it and then you post another one and like only a few will you know yeah <laughs> so i guess like okay it's the same thing yeah <laughs> just keep something like that but yeah you know, but okay it, it's a good uh, means of like sharing the word yeah just sharing the bible and that people may see i've seen several of y'all even have reshared the live stream of church and maybe somebody watches the message or not were you going to say something ron uh, yeah, well uh well just recently when my well before my mom passed away like we were just having a discussion. Before I know it, she was already opening up the Bible, her life story. So I decided to make a short clip of it, and it's been watched like a hundred times already. And my even my brother, who is also a preacher in the Philippines, is using that tool in YouTube to watch, uh, to show it to his. Uh, he's a teacher also. So aside mm -hmm. from my Sunday school teacher, he's also a teacher in the Philippines. So. He shares, uh, he shares it to his students uh, on the simple way of salvation through my mom. So it's been like, well, you had that tool to show her, uh, to show my mom what, what her testimony was, and it's been a blessing for uh, the, whoever is watching it, particularly the kids. Amen. What a wonderful way to be able to use that. And then that's why I said to think about it because. If God leads you to just stay offline, that may be healthier for you, though I say as a, as a whole, as a body of Christ, we should seek to use these things in ways that may be helpful. But maybe, like I said, if we're on there 97 times every single day, then people are just like, well, this guy's just, you know, this person is just on their, their account all day. And then everybody stops looking because you're just preaching all the time. And some people are like, well, the, you know, different Instagram or forums, it's more to keep up with people and what's going on in their life. So when people start getting super preachy, they just lose all their followers because people aren't there for that. So again, what do we, it's, it's just wisdom. It's just throwing things out there that's causing us to think. But if we definitely could use it in some way, sometime to point people to the gospel or to church or to the word of God, that would be a wonderful way to use it. Um, do we, we can find different teachers or preachers online that can be a blessing that can help us to learn. Um, see, I was going to ask, uh, again, Fabian and Anna this, but they have a, a child that's our, our age, but I was going to say, has your child ever looked at you and said, put your phone away or stop looking at your phone? Cause ours has, as Sarissa has done that to us. And I even read an article in a study one time that said, 
cats get jealous of the cell phone. If you have an indoor cat, they see that you're looking at the, the phone all the time and they'll actually come up and try to knock it out of your hand because even they are able to perceive this is taking up a lot of your <laughs> attention. So not to the detriment. What's that? Even our dog. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so we, it's time for us to play with her, but every once in a while you're... Your phone is just on your side before you know you're already at the yeah. then our dog would just come over and yeah so dogs. yeah again all that to say that it's taking our attention from things and maybe the uh animal or the child needs to be trained and hey you know i'm allowed to return a text to somebody you know, stop that but to realize this is pulling my attention away from something when I'm giving to it, and sometimes it's been convicting. When they say, hey, can you put your phone away and play with me? Okay, that's a pretty good idea. I should probably do that. Um, what would be something that we could, some questions that we should stop and consider and ask ourselves before we post something, before we comment something? I wrote a few things down. We could ask, what is my motive in this? Am I angry as I'm saying it? Would it be better to put it down and not hit send and pray about it for wisdom first and reread it and come back to it later? We could ask ourselves, would I say this in person? If I was face to face with this person, would I actually say what I'm saying now? Should I be dealing with this in person instead of online in a way that's public or instead of a way that's just even a text message, maybe looking somebody in the eyeballs, this is big enough that it would be better Will this cause hurt? Will it cause offense? Will it cause sadness or jealousy? Could this be a sensitive topic that I'm not realizing may be hurtful to somebody and I didn't even intend it? But anybody thoughts along those lines or seen people behave in ways that that might have been saved by asking those questions and slowing down? All right. Um, let me see. Just a, a couple more. I know we're, we're over time here. Um, Okay, this is an easy one. We can answer yes or no. Do the scriptural commands we learn in the Bible for the words we say and the way we should behave, does that apply to online activity as well as in-person activity? Yes, the answer is yes. Why does it, I, I don't know why it does it seem to be easier to speak online instead of in-person. The privacy, the being anonymous, the, the lack of courage that it, it may take to say something to somebody, but it actually takes effort and courage to say, let me go to them and let me deal with this. But if I'm at home, I'm behind something, it's sort of a, one of the dangers of technology all in general is it removes us from it as if it was fake, as if it wasn't real, as if it wasn't a part of a real world to where we don't even connect with our brain anymore that the athlete or the actor or the person on the screen is actually a real person too. It's not just a separate virtual world that exists from where we are. So we, we should ask ourselves, should this be dealt with in person? Um, can you think of a scripture that would prohibit us from just being angry online instead of dealing with it in person? Anybody think of the scripture that I was thinking of that tell us what should we do if we have something against our brother? Don't let the sun go down on your wrath. That's a good one. Yep, Jesus said in Matthew, if you have ought against your brother, go to him, seek the restoration. If he refuses, refuses to hear you, go back with a couple more people. Eventually, if it has to be brought to the church and so on, and I suppose it may be possible one-on-one -on -one to deal with it in a phone call, but it says go to him, not just call him out on social media, but go talk to him and try to involve other spiritual leaders that'll help make sure you're thinking clearly before you deal with something in that type of a way. Yep. So that's kind of yep. the same as online. Yep. Great example. I, you, you may be talking about, uh, I mean, there's several different groups, but one, they called themselves Westboro Baptist, and they were famous for going to funerals, and they would hold up signs saying God hates, and then they would use the most derogatory term you could think of for homosexuals or for different people. And again, it just, as a Christian, it blows your mind to think, why do they think they're doing right? A lost person is not getting the truth. They're getting something they're going to be repulsed by. Yeah. 
but before you might have had to go downtown and get eyes on you in order to get attention. But now if you call yourself a pastor, you may have seven people in your church, but you post it on YouTube, the newspaper can pick it up. And now 5,000 people have seen you behave in a way like those people were behaving. Great example. So it just takes wisdom. That's really what it takes. And the very last question, if we ask God for wisdom in the way that we use screens in our lives, will he give it to us? Yes. What does James say? If we lack wisdom, ask of God, it shall be given him. He desires to give us wisdom. And what did Jeff say last week? We're, we're not trying to come up with specific rules for everybody in every situation. I think you said, if you're seeking God every day and asking him, am I following you? You're not going to go wrong and be pulled way off into to something you shouldn't be if you're seeking God for wisdom because he gave you the Holy Spirit to lead you. Ten, at 10 after 8, anybody with any other thoughts, questions, prayer requests, anything at all? All right. Again, thank you for being here. I don't, I don't know if this has been any helpful to you, but for me, it's been interesting because I feel like before I came across these lessons and ideas for them, God was kind of working in my mind to say, be mindful of this. And I think he would have me to bring it before all of ours attention and ask him for wisdom. So hopefully it's doing that more than giving you a guidebook of here's the rules. Think about it. Pray about it. Be mindful of it. Noel, would you dismiss us with prayer tonight?